Hello and welcome to the World of Mouth podcast, where we share the stories of the world's best chefs and their favorite destinations to travel and eat. My name is Kenneth Nars and I'm the creative director of World of Mouth, a platform that connects over 500 restaurant experts who share their favorite places, from the best place to grab a pizza slice to the latest must-visit new restaurant opening. Today we're traveling to Copenhagen to meet Canadian chef Jonathan Tam. After moving to Copenhagen at a young age, he trained at Noma and became head chef at Restaurant Relay, where he gained a deep understanding of seasonality and developed a creative vegetable-forward cuisine. In 2022, Tam opened his own restaurant, Jatak, in Copenhagen. At Jatak, Jonathan Tam's cooking is influenced by his Chinese heritage combined with the best Danish produce. We asked Jonathan Tam to tell a bit about himself and his culinary journey that took him from Canada to the center stage of the Nordic culinary capital of Copenhagen. At the end of our talk, he'll reveal his favorite restaurant recommendations in Copenhagen and out in the world. You'll also find these places in our podcast notes. Yes, uh, I'm Jonathan Tam. I'm uh, a chef based here in Copenhagen, now with my first restaurant, Jatak. My background is I'm a Cantonese, but born and raised in Canada. But I've been cooking here in uh, Copenhagen for many years now. Uh, well, have an experience at mostly Noma and being head chef at Relay. And now my major focus is restaurant Yatak. And uh, Yatak has been around now for soon a year or so? We hit our one year back on uh, January 14th. So. Uh, that was a great milestone to kind of celebrate. Uh, it's been a crazy first year. Um, so now we feel a little more settled and kind of with the focus on how to continue to develop and look at the details of our, our little restaurant. And uh, if you'd have to describe it with a few words, Yatak, what kind of restaurant it is? I think it's a place that doesn't have any, any rules. I know we've been kind of placed in a box that we are kind of modern Asian or modern Chinese, but I, I just view it, I think, as a progression of uh, this Nordic cooking, but kind of told in its own way. Um, so I think anything is touchable, but our focus is ingredients from Scandinavia. Yeah, okay. Uh, if we go back um, where it all started, so born in Canada, uh, in- and then uh, how did you end up in, in cooking? Yeah, well, it was. Uh, I'm from Edmonton. It's pretty like a blue collar city. It's one of the bigger cities in Canada. Uh, but I guess I wouldn't say I was always obsessed with cooking. I think looking back, I was v- very much into eating. Um, you know, I was. Uh, my parents, of course, took me out a lot to a lot of uh, the Cantonese, and my parents were born and raised in Vietnam, so a lot of Vietnamese food. And uh, they just said I was always about the eating. Uh, so I think it was later on in uh, high school, you know, I was one of my options was the cooking classes. And I think that's where it kind of touched something. Um, and I realized I had a, a kind of like a natural connection of wanting to understand cooking techniques. Um, and at the time, I was still living at home, so I was very much focused on the Asian cuisine. Uh, 
whether it's at home or going out and then gradually going out myself and trying other cuisines and restaurants made me realize there's this whole other world and then that kind of just became this focus um, so from high school I was already thinking and enrolling in culinary school that went by quite quickly um, but within that time I was my two years in school I was already figuring out how to get out of Edmonton how to get out of Canada uh, naive enough to think I could apply to El Bui. that was what was the top uh, the Spanish gastronomy uh, but after some research when it's like with 8,000 applications they'd taken 30 cooks I kind of expanded looking at the 50 best list and one of them was writing Rene uh, that was when Noma was starting its trajectory of uh, getting on the list and moving onward and and I think the main thing was seeing ingredients from this region reflected with Canada. As much as I was obsessed with Spain, like I wouldn't be getting like the red prawns or uh, the um, other seafood. But then looking at uh, Noma's menu back then, it was blueberries, it was walnuts and apples. And it was things that uh, was grown in Canada. So my further perception was like, if I was to return home and do a restaurant, actually spending time in this region or a place at Noma, I could bring a lot of ingredients or techniques back. I never made it back home. Because <laughs> uh, uh, that little internship at Noma became almost three years there, which completely changed and developed me as becoming a chef. And then leaving Noma, how, how did you make that decision? Uh, it was more of a personal thing, because I kind of, what was supposed to be like uh, six months away from home, end up being three years. So I felt like I had to uh, connect with some things back home in Canada, but I wasn't really ready. So uh, even the last month, you know, I was telling Renee, if I was to, is there a space if I came back? Uh, what is there? Uh, but he already had a cook that was lined up for about six months for my position. So he really had to uh, make sure this chef had a chance because they were kind of waiting for me. Um, so with that said, that's when I spoke with uh, Christian because Christian, when I entered, he was a sous chef uh, and he made a huge impact on me wanting to stay, like kind of not stay, but Christian Puglisi. Christian Puglisi to have uh, the ambition to kind of like maybe there's a chance I could get into Noma as a chef. And just seeing his leadership, he was one that I knew like when it came time to do his own thing, he would shake things up. Uh, even though at Noma, he never had a chance to uh, represent his own creative thoughts. He was mostly uh, the one executing and organizing. You never saw his own take on foods, except for the small projects. Um, but in those times, you just knew he was gonna do something special. So I just had a chat with Christian that I might be leaving Copenhagen. Here has already finished. Anoma and what he was up to at Relay and he told me a bit about it we didn't set on anything and I actually left Copenhagen after the three years uh, took a bit of a break and did some stages in uh, New York at that time and then Christian gave me uh, the mail that he wanted me to be on board for Relay so I returned for that uh, and then next chapter Next chapter, and that uh, lasted for how many years? That lasted for ten years. Ten I years. guess instead of chapters, it's like we wrote a series of books together, uh, which was amazing. Uh, that was uh, from 2010 to 2020. 2020. Yeah. yeah. 
and then you, uh, yeah, you, at the end, you, you basically were, yeah, sort of the leading figure. Yeah, so uh, I think um, probably officially we announced 2016 of me being the, the head chef. Uh, so, of course, Christian could focus. I think the biggest thing at that time was to focus on the farm to develop the farm of ideas. Uh, so for the later half, I was me running the restaurant. And the farming, you but you got much of the produce to relay as well from the... the yeah, that yeah. was, uh, yeah, it came, all the, we didn't sell uh, the produce to any other restaurant. It was only for Relay community. So yeah, Relay always got first dibs and then the rest, uh, other restaurants got to use. So that really changed the dynamic um, and also my cooking style. Um, How, I mean, some would see it as a luxury. Was it a luxury or did it pose it any challenges? Both. It was both because, uh, you know, we were focused on growing, testing out a lot of new varietals, especially after a couple of seed exchanges. The information we got from people all around the world really diversified. Uh, the varieties we were growing. So there's a lot of things that, in the terms of luxury, was a lot of restaurants didn't have on their hands or didn't even know about. We were at least trying to grow, and of course some of them took a couple seasons until it like got to being really good. But in any essence, as a chef, to get brought, like not just saying this is zucchini or courgette, this is... Uh, Green Star courgette, or this is all the different varieties and the, something like Celtus that I'd have to really hunt for. We had four varieties, um, so in that sense, it was a luxury. But of course, um, being the first time having the farm, the team sometimes quantity is a challenge because you know we had to find ways to incorporate squash or kale in. Uh, creative ways that we could have it two or three times on the menu, but very different. Uh, so we did, we managed to not have much go to waste. So in that sense, that was a, a new challenge. And, uh, uh, but I wouldn't say it was uh, like a negative thing. It just really made you like commit to the ingredients. And also we would harvest in the day and they would come to the restaurant at, they aim for one, but usually it was closer to two. And uh, we'd be open at five, so we only had a couple hours to process all the fresh vegetables. So the planning and organization and the development of the dishes had to work with that. We couldn't, uh, we didn't want to store things even for one night in our walk-in, and we couldn't over-manipulate it. So we had to really be about capturing the ingredient and the moment of it. Uh, so as a cook, I think that was. Uh, uh, that makes you really become a chef. And then just before, uh, still during COVID, you closed uh, Relay? Yeah, I Relay guess we closed, closed December 2020, it must have been. And yeah, we didn't even get to have our proper uh, like celebration of the closing of Relay because uh, uh, the Restrictions came in and they called the lockdown, I think, a week before. Uh, but luckily, one of the things we got to celebrate was Christian eating at Relay as a proper diner, not like a weird pop-up or something, but as, like, he surprised us. He made up, uh, him and his partners made up a fake name and came for lunch, and 
I think there's photos on internet of my mouth just dropping and freaking out. Is that um, the first time for you? That is the first time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, both me and him were very like, we stayed away dining at Relay because I think sometimes it's hard to kind of enjoy it. But at that time, I could see he, he got to take in uh, the special place he created. So at least that's kind of how I see the celebrating or cruising of Relay. And the, your decision to leave, when did you make that decision? Um, I think that that kind of tied in uh, with that last part of, uh, you know, I've been there for 10 years and uh, there was a lot of uncertainties with COVID. Um, so I think it was kind of the same timing as when Christian decided to close a restaurant and there wasn't another place I wanted to kind of start over at so it was an obvious sign to kind of focus on my own project and then things moved quite fast or you uh, were mm, I delayed a bit because yeah of I think yeah. it's definitely with like not having a direction we we it takes time you know I feel like I've been wanting to open a restaurant um, for many years on and off trying but it takes a lot for things to come together. And somehow in the times of things looking really dark and uncertain for restaurants, we somehow came across this, this space and things just came together. But we were building for pretty much a year, pretty much for a year. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy to think about. But I guess actually really must close. Yeah, 2020 was 2020. Yeah. And now one year later, you already have some, yeah, you got a Michelin star? Yes. How, how is, did that feel? Uh, that was kind of amazing, but also truly shocking. Because uh, we got it, we opened January 2022, and then we got it in July, uh, which was insane. And on top of, uh, it was, you know, we opened the first two months with the COVID restrictions and, you know, to think, just five months before we had to do service with masks and not have people here after 11 o'clock and to think four months ahead we managed to get a Michelin star uh, it's, yeah it's un it's unbelievable but that just shows uh, that uh, the team is really really talented and you also have some pretty iconic dishes already in the restaurant right yeah which one can you uh, tell me which one are they I guess the most iconic one is uh, the egg tart Yep. You know, that kind of riffs on some one of my favorites. It's a Hong Kong uh, egg custard tart. Big thing you eat at, get from the Chinese bakeries. And um, yeah, and then we came with our own version. I think the story is just me trying to tell my sous chefs, like maybe this could be something to play on. You don't really see it here. Um, but some of them, uh, you know, they didn't grow up eating it and we don't have like an amazing custard tart here so I couldn't be like hey eat this and let's make it so it was like we really had to get into a dialogue for me explaining the technique and them researching it but then I also let them have uh, you know Nicole lived in Singapore so she's probably had better ones than I've had you know coming from Edmonton uh, but Ian he never really had it you know his background was he's from Argentina brought up in Canada as well, in Calgary, the same province. We never really ate it, never really got into it, but he was like, you know, the dialogue as we were creating, we're like, 
this is kind of like what you know I grew up eating but then you know he'd be like but I made a lot of custard tarts in London in UK mm. and the technique's totally different so how can we fuse it you know we made the crust really focused on the Chinese style having a, like a water and fat dough so it's really flaky which is really different from what kind of fat is that? pork fat pork yeah, fat. it's key yeah. we tried butter we tried other things but it needs to be uh, the pork fat um, and I guess, you know, if you look at some Scandinavian recipes, you see it, but like, uh, it was very different from the English style custard tart. And then, you know, then we focused on the English custard technique because, you know, the Hong Kong one is like using custard powder and, and things like that, which doesn't really work with our stuff, with our um, philosophy. Um, so we just challenged it and then we crafted our version of an egg tart. And it's fun to see it like touch a lot of people, you know, whether they're, uh, whether they're Cantonese or from you know different parts of Asia, you know they all kind of have this kind of tarts. But when they eat it, you know they see it and they're like questioning because it's not what it looks like. It's you know it's not in this little metal aluminum tin. It's not small. It's this big slice. You know it looks like a you know like a like an English tart, like a pie. And the um, wobble is very Instagrammable. Exactly, and, it, and it, you know, the chefs caught on. <laughs> the few that we tested on first really turned it into something. Uh, but then it also touched the Europeans, you know, whether they're English or uh, from Portugal, like the pasta donata. And that was what's kind of fun that with our restaurant, you know, we try not to hone in on one cuisine, and some dishes reflect it, but then when people eat it, because either it's, um, it kind of brings in this uh, reminiscing of something, but also the ingredients approachable, that they all have their own little connection to it. And it's not just me having to tell this one story. Uh, so I think that's why we're not trying to box this restaurant, because we're finding what we put out has different connection points with people. Yeah. Hey, as this is the, uh, we are talking about Royal Mouth as well, and you're one of the experts. Uh, you've been in Copenhagen for how many years now? 13? Oh, it was since 2007. So I, th I think we're cutting into 16, 16. years now. Oh, okay. Yeah. 16 years now being in this city, on and off. And your restaurant has a Danish name. It does, yeah. And, and that was something when me and Sarah were developing the restaurant that I said, oh, I don't want a Danish name. I can't say it. It's never going to work. Uh, but also having this weird, like, Asian-inspired name in Copenhagen didn't represent it. So actually it was Sarah that was like, what about Yatak? Because um, that's one of the first words I learned. I think all chefs coming from abroad, because that's what you say instead of yes, chef, in the kitchen. But then I also connected with living here many years and understanding uh, the power of that word, you know, because it could be very polite, like, would you like some coffee, Kenneth? You'd be like, yeah, tak, but throughout the meal, maybe I'd say, do you want to try uh, this dish or you want to try a bit of sake? And it becomes like, yeah, tak, like you're excited. So I guess that's how we see the night guests come in here, timid and polite, but hopefully with our hospitality and our food and our and our drinks that people kind of unwind and kind of become excited. That's what it really represents Copenhagen, I find. Copenhagen, um, your favorite place is here. Uh, I bet you don't go of, that often out to eat, but still you've been here for a while. Um, any favorite places? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's a few that rings up. Uh, I really love uh, Sobar's Bistro 
there's an old apprentice of mine that took over uh, the old Manfred space, doing his take on uh, French bistro, just delicious, fun food, uh, killer wine list. What what favorite dish would you have there? Oh, I think his signature is this just simple, but it just shows like how clever. It's just uh, lightly cooked mussels that served cold with uh, like an aioli. That's still on, I think. I haven't been there for a, a little while. Um, but it's, he's just like great with seafood, whole cooked fish, uh, things like that. You know, not you don't go there for the Nordic vegetables. You go there for like whole, whole uh, like whole turbot on the plancha or some langoustines and uh, lemon tart, you know, creme brulee. He just does these really minor tweaks on the classics to have it his own way, but it's just delicious. Uh, so really love that. Um, what else is there? Yeah, I think for classics, we really like uh, either Shinnemans or Palelgil for... Uh, Smurbo. you know, we had a fantastic... Uh, Christmas lunch there as a team. At uh, which one? At Palogil. Yeah. Yeah, and that was really good. Really, really tasty. And that's slightly modernized. Uh, a touch, started. yeah, but yeah. I think it's just done extremely well. Everything was super tasty. Uh, and it's just great. They know how to, you know, get you on the schnapp. So you leave there having fun and warmed up for more things going on. Uh, and I think my new, like, kind of, if we're talking like high level, is uh, Sushi Inaba. Um, finally made it there just before our collaboration dinner uh, earlier in February. And I think it's really exceptional. Just uh, I've known Mass for, you know, when he just uh, came back working in Spain uh, many years ago and then see him on this trajectory and kind of devoted to this. And, you know, that experience at the counter it's really inspiring. We have a kitchen counter and just seeing how his team works and how, you know, there's nothing to hide. Um, uh, and it's, uh, I wouldn't doubt there's, you know, people already saying it's probably one of the best in Europe in terms of sushi. Um, and what my experience was is really phenomenal. Something else? Something Bakeries, else. cafes? Uh, bum, bum, bum. Let's see, let's see, cafes, I would say Darcy's is great. It's a neighbor of ours just down the street, but really great coffee, but he also doesn't, uh, he's not a roastery, so he actually sources a lot of either local coffee or coffee from abroad. So it's one of the more interesting places to try a lot of different coffees. Um, bakery, uh, really like Ben. There's so many good ones and uh, of course, Juno is still the one like I find extremely creative, uh, and they just continue to kind of come up with the stuff that's amazing. What's what's I mean, what what would you go for there? Uh, well, I think, of course, you have the cardamom bun, uh, that's there. But you gotta eat, like I find it when you're getting it warm, it's pretty magical. Uh, so you, like that's worth the wait. Um, and then I think they just like have a lot of seasonal things that come and go. That's really, really good. Uh, Benji's fun. It's the one in Nurbro. Uh, uh, Rasmus, I think uh, he's also got a new bakery opening up in Carlsberg. So that's something a little bit bigger project. So he's the one doing some pretty cool stuff in, in my neighborhood. So I, I frequent that quite a lot. Uh, base is still great, you know. You know, you can never get away from that story of 
them having like making their own mozzarella from farm milk and with the pizzas and like a lot of commitment to the craft of uh, charcuterie and cheese and, and pizza so that always hits a hits a spot here uh, if we move away, away from uh, Copenhagen uh, abroad abroad uh, any 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 places that any like old classics that you love or something new you've experienced? Well, the one that you know I hope I get to experience it again soon. Um, that's truly magical and that really reflects what I believe cooking is about is uh, echibari. Um, just you know, cooking over fire and charcoal, uh, but full commitment to ingredients. So that's uh, that's like pinnacle for me as like what I see as uh, amazing um, and uh, what else would it be and I think for like you know been to New York on and off I got to go to New York before opening here so I always love what the guys at Contra is doing between Contra and Wild Air I think it's you know they continue to add great value and, and creativity would you say that would be something slightly similar to what you did at Relay, or...? I guess in a way, but I think they're also, like, uh, telling food in a really fun way, you know? We don't, especially Wilder, I don't think we have something like that here, like a wine bar that just makes, like, super fun, delicious food, and super, like, when you have it, you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? It's so simple, I didn't think of it. Uh, while here, like, you know, the wine bars are great, but they all kind of hit this same kind of Nordic trajectory. So it's always fun visiting there. Um, speaking of New York, I love Thai Diner. It's a, it's a team that was behind Uncle Boone's. It was a Michelin Thai restaurant. Now they, that closed and now they have Thai Diner. And that's a spot I always kind of, and it's not traditional Thai food. And there's a lot of mixing going on there but it's just super fun. It's like a lunch there. Like, yeah, I, I, I kind of stopped eyeing the Michelin places, but for, that always comes back like a must visit for me. Uh, for what part of town? Uh, that's in the Lower East Side, I believe, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just great. It's just like no fuss. Uh, I think it respects Thai cuisine, but doesn't like, commit to the tradition and it's just, Super, super fun place. Yeah. Um, okay, then um, if um, any other place, Asia or so, that you would think of? Asia, Asia, Asia. Hmm, I haven't been over to Asia in a while. So it's kind of, kind of a bit, of course, like, uh, in general, I think the, like if we're talking about Singapore or Taipei, just with what they have with the street food and the the markets is amazing, you know? Um, so I think that just like spending time in those cities and kind of going through the different hawker markets and night markets, all the different tastes and dishes and traditional dishes you get is really fascinating. Um, but of course you can't just pin that to a restaurant, but I think, yeah, that always blows me away, getting to visit Asia and kind of see these little uh, mom-and-pop places that's been doing this many years and 
and this is just what they're committed to, and it's nothing fancy, uh, and it just amazes me the quality and how delicious it is. Yeah, very good. Um, well, if uh, you would imagine that you could close the restaurant tonight and tomorrow jump on a plane uh, with your partner or friends and uh, go anywhere in the world to dine tomorrow, right. which uh, which place would you choose then? I think it's always for a lot of cooks is to make their way to Japan. I haven't uh, been uh, had enough time or enough planning to make that trip happen, but I think to kind of fall in line with our philosophy of wanting to work with the seasons and uh, committed to the ingredients. I don't think there is a cuisine that represents that more. So that would definitely be uh, like a month, to, a month to go through all parts of Japan and beg all my Japanese friends to secure reservations into all these secret diner clubs and hidden restaurants that tourists are really hard to get in. Uh, I'd have to pull a lot of strings and flavor and a favor to kind of almost plan for a year, I think, uh, just to be there for a month uh, with how much I want to see. And also, if we're talking about going with my partner, Sarah, she's an architect, so that's been seeing the design aspect and also respect to tradition, uh, I think is a special place. So that's what we're working towards when we're not so busy to kind of get to Japan at one point. Okay, but no particular restaurant then? Ooh, I think... Um, there's so many. There is so many that I just continue to follow. But actually, there is one, um, it's called Sazenka. I think they just got three stars last year for, like, Chinese cooking. Um, and that's one, like, whenever they post something on Instagram that I'm just re-watching five, ten times to understand what's going on. Uh, I find that really inspiring um, that it is... Like I, it like touches like my reference of Chinese food, but it's done in a Japanese aesthetic, uh, with like really high focus on technique. Um, that I find that really, really, really particular. And I guess if we're talking about since we're talking about so much with Chinese food, I guess getting to go to the chairman in Hong Kong would also be like a dream. And that's on the bucket list. Uh, of course, making it to Hong Kong in general to kind of connect with my Cantonese roots would be fascinating, but. Uh, in terms of a meal, I guess it would be that would be one restaurant that's have to go to at some time. Okay, great. Uh, hey, Jonathan, thank you so much for this, and good luck with everything here at, at Yatak in Copenhagen. Thank you so much. Thank it was you. A pleasure. Thank you for listening to the World of Mouth podcast with Jonathan Tam in Copenhagen. Find all of the recommendations mentioned in this episode and more on the World of Mouth app, available in your app store, or visit our website at worldofmouth.app. You'll also find these places in our podcast notes. I'm Kenneth Nars. Until next week, when we meet Chef Virgilio Martinez in Lima, Peru.